Can you remember when it was that you last ran in a race? It might have been quite a long time ago, but most of us, I imagine, have run in a race at some point in our lives, maybe uh, on a school sports day or during a PE lesson. But what was it like? Can you remember what was it like to run in a race? <laughs> Painful. <laughs> Even if we can't remember, or perhaps we've never run in a race before, we can probably imagine what it would be like. So we've had a couple of suggestions, but what words would we use to describe running in a race? Yeah. <laughs> Hard, humiliating, exhausting. Exciting. The two words that I thought of, or that had come to mind for me, were exhausting and exhilarating. Exhausting because of the effort that it takes to run, and exhilarating when you get to the end and cross the finishing line. Running in races has become very popular over the past 40 years or so. The first London Marathon was in 1981. Some of us might remember it. And each year, more and more people apply to run in the London Marathon. And more and more people take part every year. So I was reading that in the very first year, about 20,000 people applied. Uh, and just over 7,000 people ran on the day of the race. And this year, there are likely to be at least half a million people who will apply and well over 40,000 people who will run. It's crazy, isn't it? But to be honest, I'm not really a big fan of running myself. I know quite a few people who do like to run, and I think that's great. But personally, I have to say that the idea of running doesn't really fill me with much enthusiasm. That said, I'm very happy to watch other people run. I can remember when I was a young teenager sitting in front of the TV watching people like Steve Ovett, Sebastian Coe, Alan Wells, all uh, winning gold medals uh, at the 1980 Olympic Games in Moscow. Some people remember that too. Um, and it was really inspiring. And Chariots of Fire is probably one of my favorite films, a bit old and dated now perhaps, but still very inspiring and well worth a watch if you've never seen it before. And our six-year-old boy, James, he loves to run. And whenever I go to pick him up from school, he almost always wants to race me back home, as long as he can be the one who gets there first, of course, to win and when we were living in France, Alison actually took part in the Paris Marathon one year after lots and lots of training and with a friend uh, who was a keen runner. But for me, running is just hard work. There's no question about it. Running, running a race, though, is something that we're all encouraged to think seriously about. Whatever our age, 
whatever our experience, whatever our physical condition, running a race is something we're encouraged to think seriously about. And there are quite a few places where running comes up in the Bible. Some of them are going to be familiar. So if you remember a little while ago, we were working our way through the book of Hebrews. And towards the end of that book, in chapter 12, in fact, we have the following verse, which is a well-known verse. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Or back in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, we read the following. Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. That sounds good, doesn't it? Running without getting tired or weary. But it's not just running that is tiring, is it? Living our lives takes energy and effort. Doing the things that we have to do day after day, work and all the other activities that we do, taking care of ourselves, taking care of other people, getting up in the morning, even doing things we enjoy takes effort. And then there are things that get in the way or create additional difficulty, like the, like the obstacles that we've just seen. So when Paul wrote his letter to the church in Galatia, Galatia, that would be Turkey today, he was worried about what was happening to the people there. He, he was concerned about the influences and the pressures that they were be, being put under. And so Paul wrote to them, he said, you were running a good race Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? So perhaps we can picture a race where there's a group of runners and they're going along really well and then someone suddenly comes in and cuts in on the group, getting in their way, perhaps causing some of them to stumble or trip or maybe just blocking the way so they can't get ahead. And in the same letter, Paul writes about a situation that had been difficult for him and he says... I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running in vain. I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. And none of us want to do that, do we? We don't want to run in vain. We don't want to put a lot of effort into something only to miss out at the end or to feel that we've wasted our time. Whatever we think about running, whether we like it or not, whether we enjoy going out for a run, or, in fact, in no shape at all to run anywhere, even if we wanted to, I hope we can see why it's important to think about, and it makes sense to think about running a race. 
It takes effort, that's for sure. It takes concentration and awareness so that we don't, don't get tripped up by things that can get in the way or throw us off course. In the book of Acts, chapter 20, Paul is traveling by boat to Jerusalem from Greece, and he stops in a place called Miletus. And there he sends for elders of the church in Ephesus, and he wants them to come and meet with him. And this is what we read about that meeting. When they arrived, Paul said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. For Paul, the image of running a race was helpful because a race doesn't go on forever. Even a marathon, like the one they're running today, has an endpoint. It might take a long time to get there, but I imagine that most people running the marathon today are going to think often about getting to the finish line. And that will help them cope with the moments when it's really difficult to keep running. They'll just think about getting to the end. And Paul says to the Ephesian elders that his only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus had given to him. He knew that he was going to face hardships and difficulties, prison and probably even death. But he wasn't running away from all that. Rather, he saw all of that as being part of the race marked out for him. Running the race for Paul was important because it involved completing the task that he'd been given by Jesus. His only aim was to finish the race, to get to the end. And he was determined to keep going, not to drop out and not to be disqualified. And we have another letter written by Paul later on where all of these things that he was talking about to those elders in Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, they've all happened Paul is writing from prison, and it's the letter to Timothy that Chris read to us. Timothy was one of the people who'd been helping Paul on his journeys, and he traveled to Greece, and he traveled around Turkey, helping to start churches in many different places. And as we heard earlier, in his second letter to Timothy, Paul writes the following words, and this is the focus for us. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the
the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Paul seems to sense, he knows that his life is getting near to the end. He's in prison. He's facing execution in Rome. And it's almost certainly uh, at that time that Nero is the emperor. And Nero enjoyed putting Christians to death. And it's generally believed that Paul's second letter to Timothy is the last letter that he wrote before his death. So we can imagine that what's contained in this letter is the very essence of what's important to Paul. We know that Paul was very close to Timothy. He cared a lot about Timothy. He calls him his dear son at the beginning of this letter. And he thinks very highly of Timothy too. He wrote to the church in Philippi, for example, and he said that there was no one else like Timothy, someone who showed genuine concern for the welfare of others, someone who wasn't just looking out for their own interests. If we had the opportunity to send a final letter to someone, I wonder what we would want to say. What would be the most important thing to communicate? Remember, earlier on, Paul had made it clear that his only aim was to finish the race, to complete the task that Jesus had given to him, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So that raises a question for us, doesn't it? What do we think of Paul's aim? And do we think at all about finishing our race? Is that something that we give thought to? Paul seems to be very, very sure of what's in store for him. He's waiting for something. He's awaiting something, or there's something awaiting him now that he's finished this race. He says that there is a crown of righteousness which the Lord will award to him. And not only to him, but also to all who have longed for Jesus' appearing. It's interesting, isn't it? Usually we think of prizes or rewards going to those who win races. But Paul makes it very clear in this letter that there's a crown of righteousness in store for anyone and everyone who is looking forward to and longing for the day when Jesus appears. So we know that there are many people who train so hard and put in a huge amount of effort in order to participate in things like the Olympic Games with the dream of perhaps even winning a medal. That's a choice that they make. Only a very few people have the talent or ability and the discipline and determination to have that possibility of perhaps winning an Olympic medal. And even the very best athletes aren't guaranteed to win after all the hard work that they've put in. I don't know if you remember Paula Radcliffe. She was an amazing athlete who 
won many, many marathons and was easily the fastest female marathon runner in the early 2000s at the time when she was competing. And at one point she was literally winning every race she ran in and she just seemed unbeatable. But when it came to the Olympic Games, so uh, the Olympic Games in Athens and then in Beijing, Beijing and then in London, injuries and illness meant that she never won a medal. Even though she was so good and worked so hard. But what Paul is saying is that there's a crown or a reward that is of infinitely greater worth than any Olympic medal waiting for us. I can remember when I was young dreaming of perhaps winning an Olympic medal. It was never going to happen, but I still had that dream. But Paul says there's something waiting for us if we follow his example and if we understand what he's saying. What is a crown of righteousness worth, do you think? How valuable is a crown of righteousness? Is it something that we would like to be awarded to? Is that what we want? Is that our desire? Paul gives a lot of instructions to Timothy in this letter. In one sense, that probably shouldn't be a surprise. It's Paul's last letter, after all. And so there are things that he needs to make as clear as he possibly can. He's not going to get another opportunity, perhaps. There are things that he wants to make sure that Timothy understands. And knowing that, I wonder how interested I am or we are in what Paul has to say in this letter. I know that sometimes I really have to push myself to read the Bible and pay attention to what's written. It's not easy. The Bible's not an easy book to read or to understand. It was written a long time ago. There's a lot in there. It can be difficult even to find time, the time that we need to to read it or to, to listen to it. But as Paul reminds Timothy right here in this letter, ever since he was young, Timothy's been encouraged to know the Holy Scriptures which are able to make him wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Most of us would like to be wise, I think. Not long ago, we were looking at the Sermon on the Mount here at Portswood on Sunday mornings and thinking about the the things that Jesus taught his disciples. And you probably remember how Jesus finishes the Sermon on the Mount with the parable about foolish and wise builders and he makes a distinction uh, between being foolish in building and constructing and being wise and he's talking not so much about building houses but about our lives and the difference between being foolish and being wise is all about hearing Jesus' words and putting them into practice and in this letter Paul writes that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. There's that word again, righteousness. And as I've said, this letter is, is full of reminders and encouragements and warnings. 
Paul has finished his race. So what does he want for Timothy? What does Timothy need to know? What does Timothy need to think about? What are the priorities for Timothy? Well, the answers to those questions are not hard to find. They're all in this letter, but to find them, we need to read the letter. And I want to encourage us all to read, to keep reading, keep thinking, perhaps even talking about it in house groups or with friends. Two weeks ago, it was uh, Palm Sunday, and Louise was talking about Jesus, the unexpected king. And last week, it was Easter Sunday, and Andrew spoke about Jesus, the victorious king. And because today is the Southampton Marathon, we've been talking about running, and we've read a few passages about the idea of running in a race and finishing the race. But the title that we've given for today is Running with the King. And so I just want to finish by focusing on that. After the resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples a number of times and in different places, and he was able to convince them that he was alive and not just a ghost or hallucination. And he continued to teach them. And with two of the disciples on the road to Emmaus, we know that they had a long, in-depth discussion where Jesus explained what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. According to Matthew's gospel, just before Jesus left them to return to heaven, he gave his disciples a final instruction and a promise. The instruction was for them to go and make disciples of all nations, and the promise was that he would be with them always. And because Matthew's gospel ends at that point, we can be left wondering how the disciples went about doing what Jesus had told them to do. And what difference did it make that Jesus had, had given them that promise to be with them? And the book of Acts certainly gives us some ideas about what happens next. But I also think that what Paul writes about and what he does with the help of Timothy and many others is a very helpful and practical example of what it looked like to go and make disciples. And it's quite clear too from the letters, from all the letters Paul wrote, that the promise that Jesus would be with them is vital in everything that happens afterwards. It's this promise that makes all the difference to Paul. So if you've got a Bible, just turn back to 2 Timothy and let's read the first couple of verses from chapter 1. And we're thinking about running with the king. We're thinking about Paul's example and how he encourages Timothy. So this is how he starts his second letter to Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. It's just the introduction to the letter, two verses, a couple of sentences, and Paul manages to mention Jesus three times. And, and it's It's the essential nature of Jesus and Paul's running with the king, I think, that caused him to write 
so often about Jesus. If you just look a few verses later, we have, uh, we have the verses... One second. God saved us. God has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to life, to light through the gospel. Paul never forgets Jesus, and he doesn't want Timothy to forget Jesus either. At the beginning of chapter 2, Paul writes, You then be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And just a few verses further on, he says, Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And then just a few verses later on, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David, This is my gospel. It's almost like Paul can't write more than one sentence without mentioning Jesus. Reading any of Paul's letters helps us to see that he wasn't running a race as a solo effort. Far from it. The example that we see with Paul is one of running with the king, running with Jesus. So let me leave you just with three questions to think about and maybe talk about. How can we have this same focus of running our race with Jesus, with the King? What is going to remind us of Jesus as we run? And what is going to help us to remember Jesus' promise and experience his presence as we run with him? So questions to think about. Let me just pray. Father God, we thank you that that we have the Bible from you. We have your spirit in us, living in us, to teach us. Lord, thank you for everything that's written. Lord, we we do find it difficult sometimes uh, to take things on and take things in. But we thank you that you help us, Lord, and that you want to help us to continue to grow together as we run uh, this race with you, heading for ultimately the finish line. And Lord, thank you for the motivation that you give us, the crown of righteousness that awaits us as we long for your appearing. Uh, Lord, please help us to have and keep that hope in us of you returning and taking us to be with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.